Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. Today, I have less news and a bit more informational, educational pieces circled around our underdog token. I call it an underdog, although its price movement belies that term, but I will still call it an underdog because very few people outside of the crypto bubble are aware of it. And it kind of came out of nowhere. It hasn't been around very long, and so to me it qualifies as an underdog. However, its price movement, again, belies that description. So just so you know, there will be less news today. It's not that there's not news, but I've kind of drilled down the most significant news in one specific area, and that being Cardano. And so there won't be too much to talk about there. And then just one brief update uh, after that one, and then we're often talking about our underdog tokens. There's a lot to talk about on that one. So Cardano is spiking, its price is up, and anybody that's listened to the podcast for an extended period will have heard me mention on occasion that I've been bullish on Cardano for a very long time. Not because of the people, but because of the what the project portends, P-O-R-T-E-N-D-S, to provide to the industry and to the business outside of crypto was always very compelling. But what I was told is that there happened to be just a very stupid leader behind this deal. And so I never really understood what was going on, why it was not able to succeed long-term. And it seems like they've made some changes in their structure and they've rethought their approach and they've done some significant steps forward for the right reasons in the right directions, which sounds good on the surface. This is what we're seeing now in the price movement is that whatever it is that they did do is apparently having a positive impact on the on what they're doing in the price movement of the tokens and those who hold it are of course the benefactors of that movement in secondary news walmart filed paperwork in order to get their own cryptocurrency and they're jumping on the bandwagon that is metaverse i'm not going to cover this one too much deeper other than to say that they're going to be looking into cryptocurrency they're going to be looking into nfts and they they want to play a factor because they want a piece of the money. That's all it is. And of course, there's you know trademarks and other things that go into this in order to go in. But I'm assuming what they want to do is that they want to allow purchases of products. So if you go back to my Dolce and Gabbana mention I did some time ago, they tied the NFT to a physical product. What I'm told is that Walmart wants to do the same. Basically, the NFT space, you can purchase an NFT, and it may entitle you to purchase the physical product. I don't see how this can be profitable. However, there seems to be a thing to it, or perhaps they're only doing it for specific product lines. I'm not sure that yet. There's not much information. Um, It's a bit disappointing that Walmart's getting in the business, but it is helpful that they are increasing their presence with Bitcoin ATMs, which means that they recognize the, again, the raw potential because they make money off any time that anytime people do that. And then, of course, they've got their own prepaid card and all these things. So you tie all that together and they're taking a slice of all the different transactions that happen through their prepaid card loading and, and charges. And then, of course, the Bitcoin ATMs. So Walmart's getting a piece of the pie, their business. That's what they're supposed to do. Now, I know that was really quick, wasn't it? And it was quick on purpose because in order for me to cover this token, it was going to take me pretty much the span of the episode because I wanted to make sure I gave it a fair chance. I did evaluate it as deeply as I could. There are still some unanswered questions with it. And 
from what I can parse out, it seems on the surface legit. From what I can tell, it seems like they've done everything correctly. But there's going to be a little bit more that we need to think think of with this one. If you're on social media, you may or may not have heard about it because it's been spreading like nuts. But the name of the token is ETH Fan Token. ETH Fan Token, despite its name, is on the Binance Smart Chain. And as I said before, it came out of nowhere. The website is ethfan.club. Came out of nowhere. Started in December, I want to say. And their whole mission, they were pretty clear. They wanted to support people that support Ethereum but don't like the gas fees and think that they suck. In other words, if you support the Ethereum, what it's doing and what it does for crypto, but you just think the gas fees are terrible, we're here to support that and provide a different option. And the way that they positioned this was kind of brilliant in the sense that as you hold this token, you are issued rewards in the Binance version of the Ethereum token called Binance Pegged ETH. This is just as good for using on the Ethereum chain once you convert it to the Ethereum equivalent, but you save on gas fees because you're only paying the Binance version of the gas to get it over there. So it's actually an intriguing thought process that you could issue Ethereum, but not through the Ethereum system. So you're avoiding the gas. And of course you could buy Ethereum through Coinbase or through an exchange directly with your credit card and, and do that. But here you're able to get it as a reward as a reflections and you're getting the value of the ETH fan token itself as it grows. And boy, did it grow. This dude started, I want to say, like I said, back in December, I'm pretty sure it started with two zeros uh, more than what it has now. I think that's true. So seven zeros, and now it's down to five. Yeah, that's, yes, that's correct, or six. Six zeros. It spiked up to five, but now it's back down to six. So it started with... It started with roughly one to two, possibly even three. It's hard to see off the graph because it had some initial growth and then drop, and then it dropped to zero when it first launched. That's why it threw me a little bit. Suffice it to say that this one's had significant growth just over the span of the last week. It jumped hundreds of percents. A lot of money was made by a lot of people. When Whoever bought in with this thing when it first launched and they believed in it and they saw something in it based on the rate at which it was dropping zeros i guarantee you that people were making some major money not just in the price of the token but also in the rewards they were getting in the eth some of those people might have reinvested those back into their bag to get even more and then increase the rewards as a result so there were a lot of people that just held they just held the line kept it going and then it would what happened is you'd see a whale sell out and it would dip ever slightly and then continue to go up after that and it continued this pattern for the last couple days as i watched it it's just now today where it started to plateau a little bit it's still on the upward trend but it's plateaued compared to what it was from what it was it was up 100 percent, 200 percent, 300 percent. as of right now it's up 50 percent. so it's still up but nowhere near with the level of velocity it was before and we're starting to see some people sell for profit and a little bit of consolidation but in the volume numbers, it was able to get up to $9 million in volume. And again, I want to repeat, this is two months old, this guy. So it's not like it's been around for a major amount of time. But it's able to generate strong amounts of volume, $79 million market cap, almost a million in liquidity in the pool. And just the growth speed. Like if you look at not even the price, because the price is very low. You could buy in right now 
and not spend a lot of money and get a pretty good bag, you know, roughly around a billion for not a lot of money. It's the velocity of the increase in price in such a short span of time that was impressive in looking at it, given what its whole pitch is, which is, look, we just want you to celebrate ETH. We're not, they're not trying to solve the world problems or reforest or any of that kind of stuff. They just said this is what it is, and here it is, and if you have any concerns, let us know. But, and to that point of concerns, they're very heavy on community. They're very active on social media to the point that part of their tokenomics, which I'll get to in a, in a little bit, is a recurrent burn. And they broadcast and they advertise this and they say, we burn. Here's the proof on, B, on BSC scan because it's a Binance chain coin. And here's the amount of money that would have equated to. And we'll do this every time we hit these milestones and so on. They're actively communicating in their telegram. They're actively trying to engage people and telling people this is what it is. And they are largely seeing that the vast majority of holders are not trying to sell, but people may take profits here and there. But generally speaking, they're kind of holding the bag, the you know, at least some of the bag. On their site, it doesn't follow the same mantra as some of the other tokens where it's obviously a template that they copied from some other coin and then it has that moving thing when you move your mouse over it. They don't have any of that stuff. It's a very basic site. There's no problem with that. But I call it to attention because it means that some thought was put into the presentation they wanted. When you go into the audit that they have out there, it's done by Tech Audit. Tech Audit is one that I've only seen very infrequently. I've not seen them very heavily used. I don't have any concerns with Tech Audit. Obviously, it's not the pinnacle, which would be a Certic Audit or a Desert Finance Audit. But in their rubric or how they do the reviews and how they call out severities, they seem to do a pretty good job of explaining what they cover and how they cover and what they are looking at and what their different categories mean. So in summary, a high level to them is something critical to performance or functionality, and you should fix it before you go live. I agree with this. Medium is something that could bring problems, and if you should fix it at some point. I agree with that. Low level is minor. You don't need to fix it, but you probably should fix it at some point. I agree with that. Like, it's very simple, straightforward, and I like that compared to, like I said, Certic. I have concerns with what they call like a higher critical because it doesn't seem to match what they found. The only thing that I saw in though that was a concern in the in the audit report was it didn't seem very thorough in what they went through, and they don't give examples of what they specifically evaluated. So they give a topic. So for example, calls to a database, uh, front running as a test. So basically, are you preventing bots? Timestamps. In other words, are you in sync with time and and time passage? Uh, integer overflow, which has to do with the amount of zeros that we got on all the different coins and um, DDoS attacks, uh, economy models, methods, uh, event logging in case there's something that happens. So there, it's very, I don't want to say it's conservative, but it's very conservative in what they evaluate. That's not a bad thing, but it just goes to say I would love to see a dessert finance and or a certic audit it, in addition to this, because I don't think there's enough here for me to really know that the code is clean and safe. That's not to say it's not. I'm saying that I really want to see those other two audits to really dig into the code a little bit more than these guys do, because it's a very surface level audit. It's more like a, you know, code and initial code standards audit. It's not a code integrity audit. Things like, does the owner have too many rights? 
Uh, is the contract renounced? Can the owner lock down transactions? Uh, what's going on with the memory leaks or inefficient gas usage? Like things that would affect the investor directly are not called out here. And that's why I want to see one of the other audit firms kind of step in and give their stance because I think it's most important from an investor perspective that you are a clean, generally clean contract in terms of what, what would affect the investor. That's not the trash, the audit that's there. Any audit's better than none. But I think they have a little bit more work to do from my perspective to increase confidence from the investors. They do have a white paper posted on the site. The white paper appears to be a PowerPoint slide deck, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. And I was reasonably impressed with it. I won't say I was greatly impressed with it, but I was reasonably impressed with it. And the reason that I wasn't greatly impressed only is because they spent a lot of time in descriptions and definitions. So, for example, what's a blockchain? What's a smart contract? That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think there was enough time spent on them, truly them, truly what are they going to do? What does their future look like? What is their plan? What is their true roadmap? And how is this going to go? Some of that is mentioned in terms of the project conception and project enhancement and utilities, it's mentioned. But to me, more focus, I'm saying more information should be in the white paper around these things and less on the definition side. That's not to say not to do the definitions, but that should really be just on the website. Your white paper should really focus on the project and not spend so much time. Like if I look at the white paper right now, just going through it, let's take da -da 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 -da, starting from... The first definition that I saw, so number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine pages total out of 30, so roughly a third, close to a third of the document consumes with just definitions, generic definitions of generic crypto terminology. To me, that's a waste because more of that could have been put towards fleshing out some of the other stuff that an investor would care about. So, for example, when you go to your utilities, you said development and testing of EFTD app. I know what that means, but your investor may not. And you should have some sample screens of what you're thinking about. You should explain what that D app is going to do. What is it going to do that benefits them? What is it going to do that benefits the price? Talk about it. Launch of EFT on ERC20. I know what that means, but I think you should spell it out. We plan to put this on the Ethereum network. Here's why we're going to do it. Here's when we're targeting to do that. I know you said Q2, but give us a little bit more. You don't mention a bridge. I assume there will be a bridge, but you don't mention it. Like, that should be fleshed out. Development of mini arcade-style play-to-earn games, and it says ETH theme. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming you're going to tie it around Ethereum, but are you going to earn Ethereum? Or are you going to spend Ethereum? There's not enough there. Marketing and listening with centralized exchanges is always good. Great. Give us some examples of the marketing you plan to do. What is that marketing? What does that look like? ETH fan NFTs is always good. Give us some screen, give us some sample images of what you're thinking about. Increase in pool value of crypto portfolio of more portfolio managers. We have no idea what that means. I do have a sense of what I think you mean, but this is what I mean that you should be giving that detail in the document. Not as bullets because you all you have that already on the website. You also don't have your disclaimer that I think is very important, which basically says that people should make their own decision as to whether they invest in this based on confidence in the project. 
You do say do your own research, but I don't think you do a proper disclaimer about the fact that you're not trying to advocate that they do or don't buy it. You're just putting information and they should make their own decision. This is kind of rubric one one on one. Everything else is great as far as the spell out. It's just that they're duplicate information pieces of what's on the website. That's what I don't want to see. I want to see that your white paper goes into details about the what's. There's also no KYC information in the white paper. Like it's not a bad white paper, but it's not directed in the right way. In other words, to me, somebody should sit down and my rubric, I will always point back to it. Who, what, where, when, how, and why? Who? Here's who we are. What? Here's what we're doing. Here's what we built. You have pieces of this. You just have to flesh it out a little bit. Where? Here's where our team is located, whether it's around the world or whatever, but give us some locations. You don't have to give addresses, but give us some locations so we know where people are. When? Here are some specific targeted dates, not, not quarters, targeted dates, month and year, ideally, where you plan to have some of this stuff fleshed out, right? How? Here's how we're going to make all this stuff happen. Details about how we're going to do the D app. Screenshots of what we think might do. And we elicit feedback as far as what they see. Some sample NFTs might be nice on this. And then why? Probably most important and every crypto misses it at some point. Your motivations. What motivated you other than just we love ETH? We need a little bit more. Were you scammed before? Do you really hate the gas fees and you lost $10,000? Like, give us some quantitative information that explains your why. Because your motivation is how you convince investors that once we see a project that is in concert with our own motivations, it induces us to buy into the project. So to me, that rubric is the simplest, easiest way to get investors to buy in on confidence rather than FOMO which I'm going to talk about here in a moment. So again, not a bad white paper. I just don't think it's directed the way it needs to, which is to give the details that I think are lacking. It appears to be a copy of the stuff that's on the site, which I don't want to see that personally. And then some facts on the tokenomics. Again, it has a one quadrillion initial inventory. They did a sale of a hundred trillion. It looks like, which is not a lot. That's a small amount. There's a liquidity pool of $220 trillion, which is pretty healthy. There's a burn plan of $500 trillion. Now, it looks like they did actually burn some of this, not all of it. So when they said total burn plan, the way it looks like they did this was as they hit certain, like some other tokens are starting to do, as they hit certain milestones, they'll do a burn, but they committed to trying to do a weekly burn of 1% as well. So... There's a constant burn that happens, which is the weekly burn, and they announce this on social media. But then as they hit certain milestones, they will also contribute an additional burn is what I'm seeing. If anybody on the team listens to this and you want to correct me, I want the smoke. But this is what I see that they're doing in the plan of getting up to this 50%. So it's not a 50% up front where it be down to $500 trillion. It's rather an, a tra not transactional, but an incremental burn over time until they get to 50% of supply haven't been burned, at which point you would be down to $500 trillion of the supply that's remaining. Of which there's a team wallet, it looks like, that's $60 trillion, And they describe the team wallet as a vesting release. Anybody that's in EarnHub knows this, but if you're not in EarnHub, the way a vesting release works is that there's funds that are locked for a certain period of time. 
and then over time certain parts of this are released to the separate people and in the way they describe it is that the team basically gets they basically get the release of these funds over time so as the it's it's kind of like in the in the private business sector where you might have locked up shares or locked up stocks or locked up options where you have to be at the company for five years on vesting and then after five years, you know, every year it'll release 20% or something. Very similar concept. 120 trillion that's in the marketing wallet. And then they have what they refer to as anti-whale in the form of a max wallet holding of 1%, which I take to mean, as I said before, it's kind of weird, but I take that to mean 1% of the supply. And then max transaction size is 1%, which I take to mean 1% of the wallet. They don't specify if that if that understanding is true or if it's max transaction of the total and max wallet of the total, no problem. But then that means that a whale could still exploit it, presumably so. Then on the roadmap, they, again, are trying to at some point get on board with a centralized exchange. So like unlike Affinity, they're doing it right. They understand that this is where the people are and this is where you're going to get more of the popularity out of the project but the start hit, hit hit the ground running from just an organic community perspective, word of mouth through social media. This guy hit the ground running, had significant success, just to give you a sense. And I'll give you some soft numbers that are not real numbers. But assume that you would have put, you know, a couple of days ago, you would have put $40 into this thing. Roughly two days later, you would have been able to withdraw 200 something dollars out of this guy, having done nothing else but just wait. And that's not accounting for the ETH rewards, which wouldn't be that much. It's a few cents over a couple of days, probably 50 cents to a dollar. So if you did some advanced math, you can see that anybody that went YOLO into this thing, which I hope people didn't, but I know people did, made a lot of money because of the growth. It was, it was shocking levels of growth, way higher than even para start. And it's been sustained. Like it is not, it is not significantly crashed. It's going down like it's starting to consolidate and taper off way more than what it was doing. But it's not like crashing like some of the other ones eventually just kind of crashed because, as I've said, you can't sustain that upward growth for very long. So, again, this is ETHFan.club is the site for this one. The ETH fan token had some out, absolutely shocking and staggering levels of growth, and it's one of the most popular tokens out there right now. I don't see any information that tells me that it's renounced from what I can see. It does have an audit, but the audit isn't what I want to see. So those would be my two calls to action would be, let's understand the renouncing of ownership. Not saying it's required, but we need to understand it. Just talk about it. And that should be in the white paper too. If it's renounced and it says that they will renounce it after some days of launch, well, it's been days after launch. So that's what I mean. Like flesh that out. What do you mean? And if you're going to renounce, what does that look like? And da, da, da. Of course, if you get on a CEX, a centralized exchange, that may delay the getting a renounce of ownership, potentially. But I'd love to see that. I'd love to see something about the audit with Certic and Desert Finance, because I think they are the gold standards right now. Other than that, I can't recommend that they change much of anything. Just, again, shore up that white paper. It needs to be more detailed than what it is. I've got strong concerns about that one get it to where I think it should be, answer the question definitively about contract renouncement instead of a fluffy, we will. Let's answer that and then ideally get on a CERTIC audit, desert finance. Beyond that, I, I, can't, 
I don't give any criticism or anything. Take a look at that one if you're interested in this one. It does seem to go in waves, so it'll go up and then it'll go down and go up and go down. So it's one of those where I do think it's somewhat of a long play only because there's still enough inventory and there's so few holders. Like it doesn't even have 10,000 holders yet, I don't think. So it's early in the process. And time will tell, and some of these questions still need to be answered, I think. That's ETHfan.club. The ETH fan token is currently taking over the crypto world. Take a look at it, see if it makes sense for you. And then I'm going to go and circle back. As I said, I wanted to tie some informational educational pieces around that token that I just talked about because I think it's important that I talk about a subject that's near and dear to me based on the behavior I just saw of this particular token, and it reminded me this is something I had never specifically referred to, but this token gave me the opportunity to refresh on, oh, yeah, you know, that's a potential concern, and I want to make sure I bring it up to you guys and see what you think about it. With tokens that tend to succeed, similar to like this one, where you start seeing graphs that are just unreasonably jumping, and it has some healthy dips and healthy climbs and all that, but generally speaking, it's just unreasonable levels of growth. There's a temptation to FOMO, as they say, which is you're afraid that you're going to miss the train and you want to just buy in as quickly as possible. And so you, you drop everything and you might be tempted to YOLO into the darn thing. I never recommend that you YOLO into anything. And I, I maintain this. I don't think you should toss every single waking dollar into any project. Only invest what you can afford to lose because it's a very risky market, no matter how clean it might look on the surface. And in this case... It seems reasonably clean, but there are some fundamental things that are missing, which means it creates some risk. And the level of growth that we saw could indicate a potential pump and dump. We just don't know. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying there's a risk of it, right? So don't YOLO into any project just because it looks green. However, let's say you do buy into a project like this and using my numbers as an example, let's say you tossed $50 at something like this and it jumps and it gets to like $250. Some people would say, as I've talked about in an old episode, hold, hold, hold. And I don't agree that hold, hold, hold is the right answer because volume is necessary for price movement. So if you have a token and it's able to basically net you $250, you've already gotten your ROI. You've already gotten your money back and you got some profit over top of it. And I see no problem taking out the profit portion of that investment. So in this case, if you put 50 in, and you got $250 at some point, to me, I would just withdraw the $200 and then let it continue to grow, take the profit. Let it grow, take the profit. Let it grow, take the profit. Because here's, here's the key thing. You can't know if something's going to pull at some point, one. Two, it lets you test whether there's a potential honeypot situation. If you can't sell early on in that first attempt, it may be a honeypot. It could be they're doing it because they're trying to stop whales, but it also could be a honeypot risk. So just doing those incremental cells of profit keeps you in the loop as to whether something might be a honeypot. So I'm actually advocating that if you do put a little bit of money in something and it happens to skyrocket unbelievably, I personally see no issue with taking profit from this. Still leave your initial basis in place. So in this case, the basis was $50. Leave the $50 in there. And learn how to watch the graph, learn how to watch the growth and the volume to see where it's going to start plateauing and then where it's going to start going back down because they all do. 
And then you learn how to time it to where right when it's at that pinnacle, that's when you take the profit, wait for it to go back down, buy the dip, and increase your basis. So let's use our numbers again. If you put 50 in there and you made $250, you take $200 as profit off the pinnacle. When it dips back down, maybe you take some of that money and you put 50 more in there. Your basis is now $100. Let's say that $100 goes to $400. You could do it again, right at the pinnacle, take 300 out, wait for it to dip, toss another 50 or toss 100 or whatever, because what, you'll, what you're doing is you're compounding your actual profits. But you're also making it to where you realize those profits in your own safe wallet as opposed to what everybody else advocates doing, which is to just leave it there and hold, 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 and leave it there. But then you run the risk of things crashing, one, two, honeypots, three, rug pulls, because you left it there. Because they're not counting on you to take the profit out. They're counting on you to wait and watch the number keep growing. Meanwhile, it's the same thing, because if you take the profit and it's sitting in your wallet, it's still growing. It's just not growing there. Now, yes, you are losing a little bit of compound by cashing out, but to me, my personal opinion, as an investor having done this a while, the level of risk that you are averting by doing it my way means that you would never be, first, you would know if it's a honeypot because you would try to sell it and it doesn't work, right? That's your clue, it's a honeypot. Or you try to sell it and you get the whole, can't do the slippage, and that's usually a liquidity issue, which could be a rug pull. You'll know it. Because the first time you try to do that transaction and it fails, it should be an instant red flag that you're done with this project, potentially. Or you can go and inquire to them and say, how come I can't sell? And they should give you a straight up answer. So now you can be in front of it. If you just leave it there and say, yep, grow, grow, grow to the moon. Let's LFG. Let's fucking go. As everybody else does. Then what happens? They rug pull the dude. Your value still looks like that amazing $10,000 figure but you can't withdraw it. So technically you did take a loss because there's no money left. I personally believe the better answer is just to take the profits, figure out what that timing is for the pinnacle, learn to watch the graphs for when it's going to start plateauing. And then right when it starts to do that, take profit, still leave your basis in there because you can realize some more. If it becomes a project that you trust because you've done this a couple times and you see it's not going anywhere, it's a good team, Maybe they renounce ownership. Maybe they lock liquidity for 100 years, whatever. They do things that give you confidence. They're not going anywhere. Then maybe it's okay to leave money in there and just keep dumping in there and then letting it so-called go to the moon. But we're talking about low market cap projects, newer projects, lesser known projects, projects that don't have a lot of holders, projects like this one that seem to have unrealistic levels of growth, para enu, same thing. I'm just saying that to me, a smarter strategy is as you get some profit in there, just take the profit out. It's easier to do this on the Binance chain or Polygon or Tron or Phantom than it is on Ethereum because obviously taking profit means you got to pay gas. The other risk you have is sometimes they'll tell you to stake, like Green Chart has a staking mechanism, and that's the only way you'd really get, quote, reflections. Well, you'd have to really trust them because in order to stake with them, you have to hold it for 30 days. You can't touch it. It's not like other ones where you can go in and out as, as you please. So it could scam you by way of saying stake it and then you can't touch it. That's why I say just take the profit if it's unrealistic levels of growth and test them. Test that you can sell, test that you can buy, test that you can do things. But you also have to realize that even though you can sell today, if the contract says that they can lock it down at any point in the future, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to sell tomorrow. 
That's why I like to take the incremental approach and constantly be in the loop and constantly take profits because I suspect I'm always skeptical that at some point it'll turn to a honeypot or a rug pull and I want to make sure I'm at least getting profit out of the thing, if nothing else, before the inevitable happens. That's just my take on it, but I hope that you understand why I'm saying it that way as opposed to the let's fucking go deep, deep, deep crowd that's out there across social media. Let's wrap up today's episode with some follow-ups that I owed you. Um, I did not go back into Cytomask because as of the last time I checked, it still had the same fundamental issues. All of them have been acknowledged, though, by the Satama devs, and I was not satisfied with one of the answers, by the way. But the three issues that I was most concerned about is, number one, the network's interface and the fact that it does not allow you to change away from testnet. They said that's, quote, intentional, which bothers me. And that they, quote, hard-coded, or I'm paraphrasing that, hard-coded the mainnet. For you, what that means is you can't trust what the interface is showing you. The interface is showing you one thing, but they coded it something else. That's a huge risk. I'm sorry, because that means they could code anything, irrespective of what you see, including malicious intent, malicious wallets, who knows what else. I don't find it acceptable at all, that that answer. It doesn't surprise me that's what they did, because we saw people were able to get to the uh, ether scan on the wallet, but it's a huge concern that they'll just hard code stuff in the background, irrespective of what the interface shows as a developer myself, that's completely unacceptable. And I will completely remove any recommendation for a side of mass going forward. I don't think I'll ever recommend it because to have that to be your response is almost a slap in the face. It means your customers are too stupid to understand the interface correctly. And so you decide to hard code it. So they don't think about it. That means you could hard code malicious intent. You could hard code that when you send Satama somewhere, it sends to one of the dev wallets. I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm saying that when you do things where you purposely hard code stuff irrespective of the interface telling you otherwise, you could do that. Don't say, well, trust us, deep, deep, deep. I don't trust you because you've already released an application that was garbage and it's been garbage for a week now. So no, there's no trust. The trust has been lost and then that response is completely unacceptable. Second, the other issue I had was the crypto assets window, and I mentioned on one of the updates it would freeze. They're aware of that one, and they're trying to fix it. I don't know how long that's going to take for them. Registration, of course, is having issues. What they said was if you're getting network connection issue, it generally means that your region is not ready yet. However, this contradicts my experience and that of another person that follows me on Twitter because I was able to get in at points, so I don't think that it's locking region unless they're doing it manually. Just, okay, we see a bot. It's like whack-a-mole, right? We see a bot over there, block it, bot, bot over there, block it. If that's what they're doing, completely unacceptable. Personal opinion. So, in my summary thoughts on Cytomask, I'm never going to recommend Cytomask. And I will stop covering it. I will never recommend it because that stance about the hard coding of a thing, irrespective of your interface, is not acceptable to me. It's It's shady. I'm sorry. It's completely shady. I will never recommend it. I will tell you. Do not use that tool. I will proudly tell you, do not use that tool, and I don't care. If any of those developers, any of them, I don't care, even Russ, as much as I don't like him, any of those developers want the smoke and you want to come on the show and help explain to me and investors why it's acceptable that you just surreptitiously hard-code a thing behind the app knowing full well that that could be malicious and intent, I want the smoke, bring it, and I will gladly put you on the show and we can talk it out and you can help me understand it because you'll be talking to somebody who understands the language that you're doing. That's all I got to say on that one. SHIB. Let's talk about SHIB really quick. 
Shib slash Baby Doge, because now i got to put Baby Doge in there, and I will do a more comprehensive coverage on Baby Doge, because I think it's at the point that it deserves it. But the current consensus is that most of the Shib people are jumping ship like rats off a sinking ship, and they're headed towards Baby Doge. And, of course, Baby Doge, I've had bags on intermittent occasions and sold out. I do have a bag now, so I can watch the price movement. And then I just recently added a little bit more to the bag off of a dip. But Baby Doge is jumping. It is on a steady climb up. It's not like super massive now, but the report was that Baby Doge surpassed Shib's number of holders. That's no small feat, folks, because Baby Doge doesn't do anything. Let me just be honest here. But Baby Doge has tokenomics that are more attractive than Shib, although it has a very similar inventory to Shib. And I think that's appealing to people. Additionally, Baby Doge has done a very good job on its marketing and outreach. And I will cover that when I go through Baby Doge, probably on tomorrow's episode, I think. So that's what I got for you today in our situation. I likely will not be back this afternoon because I've covered everything I want to cover. Take a look at everything I covered, especially with this ETH fan. Take a look at Baby Doge, too, in advance of the episode that I covered tomorrow. Me, Other than that, I will check in with you on the next episode, and I'm hopeful that I can cover a lot on this whole Baby Doge for you. 